Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And of course, uh, although our non-US listeners might not know this, uh, this Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. And I found myself... Looking back at the times I've spent Thanksgiving week in media rooms and hotel rooms for a Thanksgiving weekend fight. Uh, I've spent boxing Thanksgivings in Omaha, New York City, several times in Las Vegas, including in 2004 for Barrera Morales 3, uh, when Bob Arum arranged a dinner at Wolfgang Puck's in the MGM, actually overseen in the kitchen by Wolfgang Puck. Mm. Um, And there was much wine drinking and song singing and general merriment. Um, I spent a couple of Thanksgivings in a row recovering from jet lag after spending pre-Thanksgiving week in Macau, watching Brandon Rios get pummeled and Chris Algieri let out of his cage. Um, but this year, of course, it's going to be very, very, very different. Um, as you you may have read or, or seen in, in the newspapers or on the television, uh, there's a global pandemic uh, afoot. And um, here in Vermont, uh, we've avoided the worst, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that's bedeviled a lot of other places. But like like a lot of places, we've seen a post-Halloween surge. So the governor's you know, imposed restrictions on traveling and mixing for Thanksgiving. So it will be me, my vegan roast, some mashed potatoes, and fortunately, the company of the Hallmark holiday movie season. <laughs> a high-powered divorced media professional in New York City returns to her small New England hometown, where she soon finds herself at odds with the widowed single father who runs her family's old bookstore. Will they resolve their differences and rediscover the spirit of the season? And in the process, love? Spoiler alert. <laughs> they will. They will. How about you, Eric? I sincerely hope you're going to come to the rescue here and tell us that your Thanksgiving is not quite as pathetic as mine is going to be. Well, there are no Hallmark movies involved in mine, so I well, suppose I that. Your place, then. <laughs> I think that alone makes mine less pathetic than yours, <laughs> uh, but but not by much. I, I too will be having an unexciting Thanksgiving, which is to say. I will be having a responsible Thanksgiving. Um, You know, a few weeks ago, we were flirting with the idea of my mom and my in-laws coming over and we're spaced out at a couple of different tables. But, you know, it's just not worth it. Uh, we, we, We had nice weather this weekend, so we got together outdoors and everyone saw everyone. That was our substitute for Thanksgiving. And so on Thursday, we'll all Zoom or FaceTime at some point. But otherwise, it's just me and my wife and kids. I'll be watching football watching planes, trains, and automobiles as everybody should every Thanksgiving. Uh, fine. An excellent choice. Be- yes. Better than Hallmark movies. Sorry. Ooh, Sorry if that offends. Steady on. An alternative. <laughs> better. There's plenty of time for both. Much better. Um, but yeah, I'll be doing that, staying home, saving lives like the American hero I am. And uh, and, and and I'll be uh, carrying with me an optimism that this is the only Thanksgiving we'll have to spend like this. Uh, better times are ahead, I think. I think so, too. We all just need to survive a few more months and we'll get there. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you're exactly right. Um, but we do also have, uh, once we get through the Thanksgiving Thursday and, and recover from the turkey or vegan roast hangover uh, this weekend, we'll have a few fights to look forward to, and uh, we'll we'll look ahead to them on this week's show. We're coming out of a weekend without any big fights, uh, then heading into that next weekend with a few good cards to, to talk about. Uh, so we're going to be covering a f- little bit of everything here. We'll talk Dubois, Joyce, we'll talk Tyson Jones, um, <laughs> we'll talk about the latest on Canelo Alvarez and Deontay Wilder. And we'll talk about quite a few of these topics with our good friend Brian Campbell. He's the co-host of Morning Combat, as you know. And he also has a new gig as one of the broadcasters for the new Thursday night series, Ring City. And that's where we'll begin uh, this week, because Ring City premiered on the NBC Sports Network from the parking lot outside Freddie Roach's famous wildcard boxing club in Hollywood on Thursday. Uh, We'll cover the fight shortly, but before we actually get to the fight, I'm very curious for your thoughts on the look and and feel of the show. They really tried to change it up a little, not make it look like every other boxing broadcast. Uh, I certainly have some thoughts about it, but uh, how do you think they did I kind of like the look of it. Uh, I, I like the the color scheme, yellows and grays on the ring. It, it it made it unique. And here we are, a couple of partially colorblind dudes weighing <laughs> in on the color scheme. Uh, but no, I, I like the vibe. I was expecting it to be indoors inside the gym. I hadn't heard that they were doing it outdoors until the show started. This was a smarter choice, certainly, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the look. Uh, although, even in L.A., where it generally doesn't get too cold, you do 
risk running into some lower temperatures and, and the outdoor thing not being such a good option. But it was apparently just barely warm enough on Thursday night not to cause problems. It was interesting what they did with Brian. Uh, he was the host, but he was also the third broadcaster during the fights. I wasn't expecting that. Um, speaking of the broadcasters, I cracked up when Bob Papa called Sean Porter Sean Foster right off the bat, and Sean had to playfully, politely correct him. A tough way to start the show, but a credit to the team that they recovered quickly. Broadcasters in masks is a challenge. I haven't seen much of that. Usually on all the various sports we've been watching, they're, they're spaced out or they're separated, but they're not actually wearing masks when they talk, and it does muffle the speech a little. Definitely not ideal, but, you know, safety first. Um, the last thing to comment on, the background audio. You know, they, they did it outside right near a street where cars and trucks drive by. Uh, and I have to say, I liked it. A, a little yeah. natural background noise. You know, if you can't have fans screaming, I think a little ambient noise is better than silence. So, you know, I mean, look, you're not going to totally reinvent boxing broadcasting at this point. It's about standing out from the pack a little without overshadowing the fights. I think a famous failure on that front was HBO's KO Nation. They tried one or two too many tweaks. Uh, Ring City was more subtle, and I thought mostly successful, despite some first broadcast hiccups. What, What did you think? Yeah, look, I, I thought they did, you know, some things very well, some things less so. In terms of, like, the overall broadcast and production, there was no need at all for them to exceed their allotted running time. I, I don't know how they can manage to do that, um, given that they had two advertised fights right. um, and still managed to go over the limit. You know, if it was that tight, even after they had an early KO, then then why why bother with the swing bout? But um, anyway, so that was, that was one thing. But like you, I, I like the staging a lot. I, I liked the projection behind uh, mm-hmm. Porter and Papa that they used to look at highlights and break down fights. I thought that was very nicely done. Um, like yourself, I also made a note about the masks. I, I'm, I'm very much safety first, but I'm not completely convinced of the necessity of masks when you're outside standing apart mm-hmm. and you've been in a bubble and you've had a bunch of tests. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure, you know, when we talk to, to Brian, he'll, he'll tell us, you know, whether that was a commission thing or a California thing or just the way that the COVID protocols were on set. Uh, and I also made a note, note about the traffic noise. I loved it. I really did. I, I, I thought it really created a, a, something about the gritty feel. And mm-hmm. I, I think probably perhaps you and I and, and others who have been to Wildcard maybe even liked it even more. We know what that neighborhood is like, you know, seeing those steps that, that everybody walks up to. Um, you know, we've all stood around in that parking lot or walked up and down Vine Street. Uh, it sort of added to a nice sort of familiarity to it all. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I actually wanted to take a couple minutes to um, give some big ups to my very good friend, Karen Batia, who mm. I thought uh, did very well, um, you know, on his first in front of the camera broadcast. Uh, I really liked his tape packages. I loved that one sequence where they had him in the gym, standing next to the fastest team, talking about them, introed into the package interview that he did with, 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 with Foster, then out to him standing next to Roman's team and then into the Roman package. I thought that was really slickly done. Um, and for people who don't know who Curran is, he worked behind the camera for HBO for, for many years. When you saw, you know, during broadcasts, fighters just doing their 30 seconds or a minute or whatever, talking about themselves, or whatever, Curran was often the guy asking them those questions oh. off camera and he would produce a bunch of segments and you could tell all that interviewing experience came to the fore and he decided he really wanted to make it in front of camera and he, he sort of just worked really hard at putting together reels and doing a podcast and there he is. So I'm very happy for, for Curran, who's a really, really good guy. Um, so, yeah, look, I don't know how long this series will last. It's a time buy. So, you know, it's a question of, you know, how much money those involved want to put into it. But uh, I, for now, I like the look and I think it really fits a very nice uh, niche in, in the boxing broadcast. So I'm, I, was, I was really happy to see it. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about the the fights uh, on this uh, premier Ring City card a little bit. These were lower budget bouts, you know, no household names, no championship level fighters. So, you know, we'll be grading on a curve here, viewing yeah. this through the same lens as a typical showbox card. Uh, in the main event, 130 pound prospect Oshaki Foster, not to be confused with 
Sean Foster or Sean Porter, uh, <laughs> dropped veteran Mickey Roman twice and stopped him in the ninth. While in the co-feature, unbeaten lightweight William Zapata convinced Roberto Ramirez's corner to wave the white towel in round five. The action was solid, but the fights were maybe slightly more one-sided than I might have hoped for. Kieran, what did you think and any particular interest in Foster or Zapata going forward? Yeah, I think, you know, what you were talking about there with it being a bit more one-sided than hoped for, I guess that's always a risk, isn't it, when you have this level of matchmaking? And especially when you've got a situation like Foster Roman, a youngish guy against a seasoned veteran, you you want the veteran to really test the younger guy Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, expose him if if he's not all of that, or at least push him. But there's always the danger, especially when you've got a guy like Roman who's had so many fights that he'll suddenly show his age a little bit or be overwhelmed a bit. And I think that, that's part of what happened there. Um, it's, it's been three years now since Roman scored his last big win a, and a couple of years since he really sort of swam in deep waters against tough opponents. Um, and, you know, Foster fought the right fight, but he was up against the guy with I don't know how many fights at this point. Um, that I think was a factor. But I did like the way that Foster took Roman's game away from him, th- that he beat him on the inside, actually. Uh, and early on... Early on, it looked like he was just looking to touch him, just keep landing, even if it wasn't necessarily much, even after scoring that early knockdown, just to steadily break him down. And I really liked that when he did open up in the later stages, his accuracy was very impressive, I thought. I thought he was able to throw combinations and and land on the button very well. So I did like that. Um, Junior Lightweight's a good division at the top, so I don't know how he'd fare against some of the big names, but... You know, that's not what the show is about. It's right. about, you know, helping these guys sort of move forward. And like you said, if you look at it as a showbox fight, would I want to see him back on, say, a showbox? Yeah, I would, actually. I'd be pretty happy. Um, it's easier to come to a decision, I think, about Foster because you know what you have in Roman, you know, to judge him against. William Zapata, he looked like someone to keep an eye on. You know, he adapted to his longer opponent's reach and height advantages and nullified them. Uh, well, but it's difficult to judge because I thought Ramirez folded disarmingly quickly. I mean, obviously, that's easy for me to say. But once it sort of turned the, that fight turned the corner, there Ramirez seemed to have very little resistance in him. So it's a bit difficult to judge for me how good Zapata was and whether just Ramirez, you know, just didn't really belong in, in the uh, the ring with him. But in general, I thought the fights were... You never know with this kind of thing. And they were generally a bit more entertaining than I, I thought. I I was pleasantly surprised, personally. Yeah, good style matchups. No, you know, no, nothing nothing dull in any of the fights, even if each of them did reach a point where it was clear who was going to win. Uh, that point coming very quickly in the, in the main event between Foster and, and Roman. But yeah, I think both of these winners, as you just said, you know, would make sense for a 2021 showbox date, uh, if possible. I, I suspect Gordon Hall was watching this card closely. Yes. Yes, I suspect so. Uh, somehow I suspect Gordon Hall's watching every box. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, joining us right now is someone, as we mentioned, who was a part of the team broadcasting that inaugural Ring City card, uh, and who, in the process, showed that there is no one in the field of boxing broadcasting who can so effectively rock the combination of suit, tie, and black latex gloves. It is, of course, our friend, the co-host of Morning Combat and combat sports writer for CBS Sports, Brian Campbell. Brian, sup, brother? Yo, yo, my friends! It's great to uh, it's great to be heard, and uh, <laughs> that those gloves were just uh, as a coincidence because before the broadcast, I was doing uh, <laughs> I was doing medical exams for <laughs> helping out the state, California State Athletic Commission. So I just uh, forgot to take those off, but everybody's uh, everybody's uh, PSD is checked, so we're all good. good. All right. good. Oh dear. Well, we're off to a roaring start here. Yes, I will not. I will not ask if that's a tube of, of lube in your pocket or if you're just happy to. Moving on, Brian, uh, you've uh, you, you've come a long way in the combat sports media space since those early days of uh, Dan Raphael referring to you as his young Padawan. I'm sure you remember that. Uh, the central gig for you now, uh, as Kieran uh, just mentioned, uh, morning combat. Uh, it's part of our shared CBS Sports show time new media family uh, and you co-host the show with luke thomas uh, what's the the backstory behind you and luke first working together and um was there an instant chemistry or did it take a little while to develop yeah the, the chemistry was instantaneous and i and i know that you guys uh know this uh, you have it right you you're a you're a you're a you're a couple you're an item you've been an item for years <laughs> 
or audibly, orally, either or, your choice. Uh, look, here's the, the 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 truth: is when you find chemistry with somebody, I've had it, I've had it with you guys, but we haven't had long stretches. Had it with Rafe Bartholomew, you still have it. Obviously, you know it. You grab onto it. You know something's there. Um, 2018, I got asked to start filling in on the uh, the MMA Beat, which was a weekly uh, mixed martial arts talk show that the uh, MMA Fighting did, and Luke happened to be the host of that. And, you know, it's weird. Episode one that I jumped on, uh, I was like, oh, man, I guess it's one and done for me. This guy's got to hate me because he was the host and I would challenge him and I would drop weird references and and really just be myself. And it turned out that that was the perfect uh, thing that Luke had been working for. And I've known Luke for a while. I actually met him at Floyd Canelo, of all places, considering Mm -hmm. he's a martial arts guy. But uh, we just realized right away that I wasn't afraid to challenge him and he could put up with my ridiculous humor. And that seemed to be a good mix. So uh, his contract was coming up at MMA Fighting, and he had a new idea to to reimagine his own show and stance there. At the same time, I had a, a, an idea that, hey, maybe him and I would be a better you know gig together, just the two of us. And at first, we pitched something to MMA Fighting that uh, in the span of tw- 48 hours, that pitch ended up on Showtime uh, with, with happenstance, with, with Luke Thomas on the subway running into somebody from Showtime who was like, oh, hey, Brian Campbell told me about you and all that. It, it's just one of those things that happened. 48 hours later, we got a show on Showtime, and it's been so much fun since then, and uh, they've put so much into it, and uh, we just keep being ridiculous, and they say, can you be a little bit more ridiculous? And uh, here we are today. So until we get fired, which is inevitable, it's been a great run. Awesome. Right. <laughs> um, so, so as you mentioned, you know, Luke, you know, an MMA guy, and he's been that way for for a long time. Boxing, he, he's open about it on the show that it's it's the secondary to him. Uh, whereas you, you know, I know, know you more of a boxing guy, but you kind of strike actually more of an even balance between the two. And I'm kind of curious, what kind of feedback do you get um, from the Morning Combat audience about boxing? Do they, do they want more of it relative to MMA or less? You know, and how do how do the audiences overlap in your experience if they do at all? Yeah, they they do and they don't, and it's like. They should. They should overlap. It's all. It's the fun. It's a damn fight game. Two different fights right. that fuel off the same way to promote it. And in the end, it's two guys going out there and, and, and throwing. You know. But uh, in the beginning, it was very like no. Uh, the the fans. So look, I'm going to say our show is probably seventy thirty in terms of percentage of MMA to boxing talk. I would say our fan base at the beginning was ninety ten MMA fans to boxing fans, and a lot of that was because let's give credit to Luke. You know, independent of the companies he's worked for, he built over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube to his own personal channel. So the large amount of people that that came to him and I coming together were MMA fans. Uh, Obviously, with Showtime being our overlords and with me being a boxing guy, we wanted to do something different, do an all-combat sports show. It has worked, but in the beginning, it was the same feedback from the MMA guys. Enough of this boxing crap. Boxing (laughs) corrupt. Uh, the best don't fight the best, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? You're right. It is. And they don't. But we love it anyway. And I will say happily that, you know, we have converted people. We, we uh, you know, certainly we, we, we promote the fights and the stories on the boxing side that matter. And uh, we don't go as deep, let's say, as we do in MMA. But we've got time and time again emails, DMs from the MMA folks going, you know what? I love me some Teofimo Lopez. I love me Gervonta mm. Davis. I'd never heard of these guys before, and now I need more of them. Thank you, Morning Combats. So, uh, you know, very happy at the end of the day to bring people together, Karen. Mm. Do you find, is it those kind of personalities then that tend to the guys who are the big personalities outside the ring, as well as being explosive in it, who are the ones who kind of translate the best to those MMA guys? Yeah, I would say, you know, they're the. it's easy when you have a, when you have a personality as like a gateway drug to get you into mm. Thing you kind of already know if you're an MMA fan you understand boxing it's it's a it's a you know it's an element of MMA just differently and, and isolated but I think even more than the colorful guys it's the the top level uh skill guys which you would it would surprise you but that's what ends up I'm um, finding that the MMA fans are are converging around the guys who can really really fight and I think some of that is a credit to even though Luke is an MMA guy he has covered boxing here and there over the years. His focus is technique. He puts out a great series mm. called Sected that breaks down MMA or boxing. And, you know, he's just a, a regular Joe who can actually see the sport where I've always been more of a I just can't wait for this guy to fight this guy type of thing. So I, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised at uh, 
you know, how many people have come around and through his, uh, maybe his excitement on the boxing side and, and, and seen a lot of the great practitioners that we have in this game as well. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about one of your boxing-specific gigs, uh, among, among your many uh, gigs that you have out there. You added, uh, th- this is a, a brand new one, uh, Kieran mentioned it in introducing you, uh, that you're part of the broadcast team for the new Ring City series. And Kieran and I already gave our thoughts uh, on this podcast on the first telecast. Take us behind the scenes a little. What was it like broadcasting during a pandemic? How much more complicated did it make the job to be dealing with masks and social distancing and getting tested beforehand and, and all that stuff? What was that like for you? Yeah, this was, uh, I'll give, a, you know, NBC, Ring City, uh, the local promoter, uh, Bash Boxing, a ton of credit. They pulled off a very, very tight COVID circle bubble. I mean, not, you know, not too different than what I'd experienced before with Showtime at the Mohegan Sun for the Charlo Brothers pay-per-view. But uh, this was done very efficiently. It's different. You know, you, you fly to L.A. for four days. You don't see the outside one time. You're in, a, you know, a very modest uh, hotel-ish, motel-ish that's right next door to the uh, famous Wild Card Boxing Club. But this turned out to be one of the cool experiences to be a part of. And I give the production team a, a ton of credit for their vision, knowing right now, you know, launching a series during a pandemic is certainly not ideal. Uh, a lack of a live gate, all that stuff. And they realize, look, we're putting on the type of fights that maybe aren't going to draw a draw a great you know live audience to begin with so let's do something different and that brought the idea of the parking lot of the wild card boxing club and i have to tell you just walking on the set for the first time uh thursday a couple hours before you're just like this is different this is cool it's raw it's edgy it's it's urban i didn't realize till you know rewatching the broadcast after whether it turned out to be a good thing or not you could constantly hear people yelling at each other one block away the the <laughs> honking of cars and horns helicopters flying over top i mean this was like real and uh in, in that regard, it was a different setup. I like the idea of, of shooting the projector up to the side wall. There were, uh, there were people that live in the apartment next door sitting on like the edge of their windowsill with <laughs> baby in their arms watching. I mean, it was just a cool setup that's different from what we're used to with Giant Arena or Native American Casino, right? It's, it, it was just right. a different setup. Um, the protocols were very strict, as you saw with us wearing gloves. I did remove my mask kind of rogue to deliver... Uh, a sort of a stand-up that I did, uh, just my decision. I didn't. I didn't realize that actually we were supposed to be wearing masks, and it was different to see, you know, everybody who was on camera uh, wearing it and pulling it off. Uh, it's a different experience than normal, but at the end of the day, it's two guys getting in a ring, passing mm. tests, and fighting. And I have to say, I'm really excited about this series. Obviously, what the series represents, which is not a stark different uh vision of what something like showbox has been able to pull off or friday night fights or whatever but just you know guys on the way up or or guys on the way down meeting together who are hungry in fights that could launch them to bigger fights uh i love it i love the gritty backdrop and uh it was just really cool it was really cool to see the great freddie roach who i know we all love and just see how much this meant to him meaning getting his uh story in his gym uh, you know, told once again. It's funny for a guy who's nice. successful, Hall of Famer, celebrity, all that HBO series about him. You know, he's felt at times lately in candid moments because he doesn't have as big of a superstar stable as he had a decade ago that, you know, some people have forgotten. You all must have forgot about the great Freddie Roach. But uh, it was fun to not only remind people, but also bring up his fight career, which was short, but it was action packed. Nice. All right. Let's um let's talk about some of the major stories in the boxing world. Um, let's start with something with a with a fight that's coming up this weekend. Neither Eric nor I are particularly wild and, and crazy about it, but this feels like something that's right in your wheelhouse to have fun with. Um, the chilling new original docu series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. 
Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones. Um, we, we're now a week away. It is increasingly appearing that this is actually going to happen. So how much are you looking forward to this? And subdividing it, are you looking forward to it as an athletic contest or are you looking forward to it as a car crash? Uh, the answer is both, and it has to be both. Well, it doesn't have to be both. You could be coming at this completely with a car crash. I've gone through the full gamut of the hamster wheel and the emotions, guys. I was <laughs> completely against it at first, then triple against it when it when the California Commission is basically, you know, out of out of fear and safety, trying to set it up to be a sparring match because we've all lived the damn Mike Tyson sparring tour with uh, a t-shirt wearing Corey uh, Sanders, a <laughs> right. T-Rex in the past, and that was supposed to be a thing, and it was a one night only thing in the end because it was like, why are we paying for and watching this? Um, and then I sort of came around to, they're actually going to fight, and these are two legends that we love. And I'm sorry, I, I know I'm supposed to eat my vegetables, but I love eating food out of a gas station and I love seeing old guys fight, including old guys with names. It doesn't typically turn out well, uh, you know, and we've seen it a million times, in, especially in boxing guys coming back for one more. This seems an extreme example of that, obviously, because they're both in their 50s. So this is an extreme version, but it really can be done right if these guys have you know, a little bit of spark and juice left and they want the moment, they want the glory, they want to just compete again. I think you do have to have safety standards in place, heavier, you know, uh, bigger gloves, shorter amount of rounds. But there's a part of me that's going, despite all my misgivings for seeing legends that I love take more punishment, despite this weird, still unresolved situation where the California Commission is saying, oh, these guys won't try to knock each other out. This is going to be a sparring. You know, besides all of that, besides the fact that we know that these two are going to fight when they touch gloves, there is a win in here potentially. And I think that's if they go out there and throw hands and the fight's not too long and somebody wins. And, you know, maybe we could do another one with another legend fighter. Um, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I am everything at once. And that is what lets you know that it's something you have to see at the end of the day. You know, it's not different than when UFC first came out. and We were all like, oh, my God, these guys are really just going to fight till the end till one guy can't do it anymore <laughs> with bare knuckles and they can kick in the crotch. And, and you know, like it was it, it has that raw sort of feeling. It could get very sad. Uh, there are many ways it could get sad, and we've all been there before in the fight right. game. Um, I'm just really hoping that, you know, how many rounds is it? Is it eight? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not sure. even sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's act. how much Kieran and I are trying to avoid knowing about this. <laughs> exactly. is we couldn't. We couldn't answer a simple factual question like that. You know, I had to get to a point where I was like, okay, enough of the this shouldn't happen for a hundred reasons. They're actually going to do it. Is it going to be exciting? Is there something to like learn here? There actually is. I mean, Roy's not that far removed from actually fighting, even though none of us really want him to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. And he's going to have a freshness advantage, hand speed advantage, and Mike is going to have ridiculous power. I mean, it, it's going to be really interesting. I just hope, again, the fight goes short. And we could go, hey, this was, you know, no one really got hurt. You know, it was yeah, fun yeah. for him while it lasted. So let's see, guys. Let's see what happens with these two. Um, but, yeah, look, at the end of the day, I love both. I mean, I love both guys. I don't want to see uh, either punishment as much as I don't want to see, you know, this go too many rounds and it just be gross and it just be a lot of bad things. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, like, I'm a extra torn because I'm not even sure – what I want to see in terms of effort. I don't I don't know what to expect, first of all, in terms of effort. That's kind of bounced back and forth. It's been unclear how much they'll be trying to win. But I just don't know what's what's better or what's worse. You know, there's certainly not much entertainment value if they're taking it easy on each other. But there's kind of a negative entertainment value if if one of them knocks the other cold. So I don't know. I'm not sure I'm not sure where the upside quite is in this. Well, I'll say it's a very tough – it's a small strike zone. It's a very hard thing to pull off senior fighting, right? The only sport yeah. where senior really works is golf, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like every other attempt at it in any other sport, it's cringy. Remember the, the NBA used to have the legends all-star – like it, it was horrific and guys <laughs> were pulling hamstrings and they they needed cigarettes and it was just bad. Um, 
this this could go really bad in a lot of ways. But Bellator MMA uh, about five years ago had this run of giant ratings on cable where they were just taking late 40s, 50-year-old former guys and throwing them in there. And there's one fight specifically that we all cringed at, then couldn't wait to see, and it was Kimbo Slice, Ken Shamrock. And you know what? It went like a minute and a half, and it was really fun. One guy almost choked the other, and then it turned into a, uh, uh, you know, a fisticuffs, and then suddenly Kimbo knocked him out. And it was like, you know what? No one really got hurt. It was wild. Both had chances to win. And if they want to run him back with somebody else, and they did, they got 51-year-old Hoist Gracie out, and they did another one. And I was that is a tightrope again, but the fight's got to be short. And as soon as we realize somebody's got a major advantage, you got to kind of stop it, right? So if this turns out to be, wow, Roy's got fast hands. Mike's taking it. Oh, Mike knocks him down. End the fight right there, okay? Then we all win. We all win at the end of the day. But, again, the... I, as much as we don't want to see somebody get flatlined, we don't want to see old eight rounds of boxing with the referee separating them anytime things get hairy. Right. Uh, okay, you just talked me out of it. Actually, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not into this at all. Why are we here? Uh, so you just mentioned the Bellator ratings. This is a pay-per-view. And on the one hand, you've got obviously two of the, the best-known fighters of, of, of their generation. Uh, yeah, uh, for all the hype that there was about it earlier, we're a week out and... I don't know if anybody knows that it's on pay-per-view. Um, do you think this is going to sell anything? Uh, yeah, more than you think, but not a ton. So okay. the, the, the key element is Tyson. That Tyson is right. like, like Roy is the perfect dance partner. He's fought a heavyweight before. He's, you know, like, like there's certain elements of Roy that are going to make this great, that, that he's perfect as a dance partner. But this show is Mike Tyson. I cannot tell you how many crossover, not day-to-day fight fans the first time they see me, you're like, dude, this Tyson fight. Oh, my God, I just got to see it. So I think it'll do a little bit better than you think. But in the end of the day, let's be honest, guys. It's hard to be – it's hard to – the days of Floyd and Manny getting a million pay-per-view buys just for showing up are, are long gone. You got to really have something extra special to bring it. I still don't think this has that, but it's going to have enough of a curiosity of people are like – well, if Mike's going to do this at 50, I got to see what happens next. Um, mm. So it's interesting. And I, I mentioned that, you know, maybe there's a good thing. Maybe maybe one of the two guys wins in a somewhat quickish knockout. We find out who's the better fighter. We could do more of these. Um, I just like I say that, but I say that tentatively. Like, do I want Evander Holyfield to get involved? Do I want all these other guys that shouldn't be taking punishment? Not really. I do think there are fun-ish matchups you could make. I mean, we were talking on just uh, Morning Combat the other day about, you know, Anderson Silva got let go from the UFC, and he wants to still fight in some form. It's like, would you like to see Anderson Silva against Mike Tyson in a boxing match? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I kind of would. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's almost like I, I don't want to see Floyd against Logan Paul, but do I want to I kind of do, actually. <laughs> but do I want For to other reasons. Against right. the, uh, an Asian kickboxer who's 20 pounds less. Well, no, I don't really want to see that either. Right. Uh, I don't, I, yeah, I just talked myself into a circle there. Um, <laughs> again, this is weird. We got to see it one time. It'll right. sell enough. But it has a, and this is no disrespect to the, the powers that be in putting it on. It does sort of have a grimy quasi porn-esque feel to the promotion and setup to it. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? I'm not saying this has you know, to be on show. It is boxing, so right. we are all about grimy quasi porn-esque feels. So. <laughs> I was going to say, I've I've unsold Brian, but then he just sold me by just putting the word porn-esque in there, and uh, now I'm sold. So It's like it doesn't have to be a Showtime pay-per-view production or a, you know even a zone, which has certainly been ri- willing to risk it and go weird and wild. This just feels like it's extra, extra we're doing it for the money, but then at the end of the day, we're all doing it for the money. So shut up, BC. Enjoy your turkey. <laughs> doing it for money. Watch Tyson throw hands and just hope nobody gets killed. All right, there we go. There Full go. That's, we're that's, back. That's around. probably the best. Yes. Can't wait. Can't wait. We're back around to it. Can't <laughs> wait. All right, let's let's talk about some boxers in their prime. Uh, enough enough about MMA guys trying boxing, and enough about washed guys in their fifties. I want to ask you about Terence Crawford and Errol Spence. Um, Crawford is thirty three. He's the same age as Chocolatito Gonzalez. 
Errol Spence is 30. He's the same age as Juan Francisco Estrada. Kind of puts it in some perspective as to how the clock is ticking on this fight, and particularly on Crawford. Um, so what's your level of disappointment, BC, in how the last few years have gone for Crawford, and how optimistic are you that we will get to see him tested in a major fight before it's too late? Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fairly, um, as a, as a hardcore, obviously, you know, not upset, but disappointed that we're here, that Crawford is this old and this good and his welterweight resume looks this, uh, you know, cut and paste smoke and mirrors, you know, and and that's not to, to damn and diminish every single one. It's just obviously as a whole, when you got a bunch of, uh, you know, B minus and C plus wins and no A's or A plus in there, it, it, it certainly stands out. Um, in one sense, that's boxing. In one sense, it's like if you are Al Heyman and the PBC and you don't really necessarily love working with other people like Bob Arum, for example, but you would and have and did for a Mayweather Pacquiao or for a Fury Wilder. Um, Crawford, let's be really honest, guys, it, it, whether it's his fault, whether it's Bob's fault, whether it's just what it is, he's great, but they don't know him. So this isn't Mayweather Pacquiao. While I'm disappointed it hasn't happened yet, and Crawford is this age now. It's not Manny and Floyd. We're, you know, we did a five-and-a-half-year soap opera of why, 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 why not? Uh, you know, it's just not that. I do think it will happen. I think the real question debate is will it happen when they're both under the same you know, banner? Because I, I just don't see how this relationship – uh, Terrence Crawford and top rank gets better. I think they've hit their mountaintop. Crawford makes a lot of money per fight, and they had to give him that to keep him. They gave that to Tim Bradley to keep him to prevent him back in the day from going to the PBC stable and, and fighting top guys fight after fight, although they had Marquez and Pacquiao at that time in their stable. I think the best closure to the relationship is probably to, to lure Pacquiao and do a big pay-per-view and get money from overseas, and that might be it because... Um, this fight is going to be instantly so much easier to make if Terrence Crawford leaves that stable. And it seems by recent comments that Bob didn't think all the money put into Terrence was worth it. Terrence didn't think they appreciated him all that well. Then you talk even deeper to people and you find out, well, I'm not sure they even love Terrence Crawford as a person. Like this just doesn't seem like it's going to work. The second he can step out of that and break the, the traditional boxing politics that prevents us from seeing the best fights, There'd be no reason why we wouldn't see it. Just like there's kind of no reason why, if you're Al Heyman and the PBC, you would have gone out of your way to make it in the last couple of years when you still had giant fights for Spence. You had a pay-per-view with Mikey. You had a pay-per-view with Porter. He still wants Pacquiao himself, which seems less likely now that Pacquiao is a free agent again. But still, um, you've got so many welterweights. Of that. I, guys, I still want to see Spence Thurman, right? I still want to see these fights. Obviously, I want to see Spence Crawford more. Obviously, I see these two as the, the Leonard and Hearns of their era, for sure, a million percent. I, will, I do think we'll see it. I think when we see it, it won't be too late. I think it'll be Typical boxing. We'll see it right at the end of when it's still viable. And yeah, you would have loved it earlier, but it's still good enough. We finally got that answer. It's just business holding us back. Um, uh, Whether it's one or two fights left on the deal, it seems, according to the reporting from The Athletic, that Crawford's done next fall. Uh, I think next fall we're going to be talking about, is this going to be a spring 2022 fight? Yep, let's do it. Makes a lot of sense. We'll Mm -hmm. see it. All right, so we're getting to the point of the year where we can start to zero in on year-end awards and you know a few months ago we thought that it was just going to be contested by people who fought between january and the middle of march but we have had been able to get a few other other fights in um weird year as it has been who has in your mind the inside track for fighter of the year right now would it be tyson fury teofimo lopez somebody else i would probably have to go clay collard for uh, prospect of the year fighter he of the gets year. a special <laughs> mention uh, MMA fighter turned boxer of the year and how many going like 27 and 0 this year yeah, I think. And right. how many times can Evan Korn reach out to me and, and pitch him as a potential guest of the year there <laughs> you go no no kid, just kidding Evan Korn's a great guy um this is the weirdest year for this by far you nailed it and we thought Fury was going to come back and maybe get a second fight in December and could even if he fought another Stefer Safari type guy, could that have given him the, the, the ultimate lead? I think Fury had the second best win, the knockout of Wilder of the year. But the best win is Teofimo Lopez over Lomachenko, unquestioned. I hate the idea of somebody winning fighter of the year off one win. 
I voted against Floyd winning it in 2015 when he technically had two wins, although none of us really looked at the Berto win as much. And you really voted for Floyd because he beat Manny. I'm not going to contest that at the end of the day. He beat freaking Manny in the fight of a lifetime. Um, I liked Canelo a little bit better that year. But this year, I think you can give it to Teofimo Lopez off of one win. And what in the rea- you know the reality is who who else is going to get it? Give, uh, give me another name. Right. Who else is going to get it? Uh, you know, like who else of this level has two wins? Uh, Danny Garcia, if he upsets Spence, he'll have this in in Redcock. Uh, all right, I mean that'd be, that'd be pretty good. Outside of that, it's got to be the guy who went in there against, depending on your list, the pound for pound king, and disarmed him and did everything he said he was going to do and became a star. Yeah, Teofimo Lopez is my fighter of the year at this moment for 2020. Okay, and there is still a month plus to go, as you pointed out. With if a guy like Garcia pulls off a big upset, it might change. But uh, yeah, for now, I think uh, I think Lopez seems the right call. I want to get your quick take on knockout of the year because that's a, an interesting tight race between some really strong contenders that might win it in any other year. How would you rank Tank Davis and Leo Santa Cruz, Zapata and Baranchik, and Povetkin and White as? If if those are the top three, I think we can probably agree they are. What order do you put those in? I like Gervonta as the knockout of the year, and it's mm-hmm. not you know necessarily because I enjoy the checks that Showtime sends me. <laughs> but they don't hurt. I love the crap out of those things. Wow. You know how much braces cost these days? Good God, how old did I sound right there? Um, yeah, I, I like that one because that's in one moment everything that Gervonta is and it was on a pay-per-view and it was brutal you know you had that it wasn't the 55 seconds of watching Manny down flat in the fourth Marquez fight where you're like is he alive like that was <laughs> Karen was there he's got the story he knows it he was sitting next to uh who's that politician that caught Manny Mitt Romney was right Mitt Romney there. was there <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right that's right <laughs> but it had a little bit of that it was like oh my god so I'm gonna give that one I love the Povetkin one as number two because of the comeback and mm-hmm. and you know the the sneakiness of that uppercut for sure. And then I'm going to give the the Branchik uh, Zapata one three. And am I get, am I pushing it to three because I think it's the best fight of the year? And I'll sly, slyly reward Zapata and Branchik mm-hmm. on the side, probably right. yes. So that's all. That's your third best knockout of the year. To tell you that Zapata and Branchik is your fight of the year, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't even ask that category because I think there's no there's no discussion there at this point. Again, still have a month a month plus of the year to go. Maybe something crazy happens, but uh, maybe Marshpan Mashamore in France is going to get up again in the bullpen. <laughs> right, Rayfield's fleece is going to get fired the hell up again. By the way, how solid is it? And all you, the three of us. We, we, we respect the big man. We've been up and down the road with Dan Raphael for many a years. All the good, bad, the ugly, and the in-between. Shout out to his schedule on Facebook. The finest place to find the latest fights. Mm-hmm. Um, his embracing of the fleece comedy now and posting yes. that picture with the hanger. and it, it, so. it's, it's Well done. Well done, Dan. Yeah, okay. You got you to lean into it at a certain point. Yeah. I mean, I've done, I'm a little done with the, uh, with the Fred Sprite. Iron Sheik jokes. That whole thing <laughs> can maybe end now. But outside of that, you know, that, that's cool. Thank you. Thank the, you. The, final, the final, you know, sort of coda to this whole joke is going to be that one day he'll do, like, his own little cribs and <laughs> on an iPhone. And it will turn out that, in fact, his closet is nothing but those identical fleeces. He hasn't been wearing the same fleece. You know, if, if he went, if, we, if the camera would take us down to the sixth bedroom, the old set of the uh, Dan Rayfield basement show, <laughs> or by the poster room, yes, then you'd find the closet with all the fleeces. That'd be fantastic. Yes. Wow. wow. Uh, don't, don't call me Shirley. Pay, pay, <laughs> pay, that, pay that woman of the night, Shirley, already. All right? These are my followers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually completely forgot. You reminded me there of a short-lived streaming boxing shoulder programming show, the Dan Rayfield's Basement Show, um, which leads us into this next question. You've done very well with all these questions so far, so I'm going to throw one at you here, that for which there is no actual wrong answer. I mean, we could come back in four years and see if you were wrong, but um, and it, it sort of relates to the whole issue of how the boxing broadcasting landscape has been shifting so swiftly. You know, we, we began this by introducing the fact that you've been, you're now doing this Ring City thing, which is a new entry. Um, if you look like four years ago, it was still basically just HBO and Showtime and, and, and not much else. You know, PBC had their time buys on NBC, but I don't think they even had the Fox gig then. Um, 
And now HBO is gone, which did not seem possible in 2016. We've got Showtime, we've got Fox and FS1, ESPN is big and back into it again. DAZN, this notion of streaming that we barely heard of four years ago. Now we've got NBCSN. Um, how do you think this is all shaken out? I, it still feels like we haven't, we don't yet know who are going to ultimately be the winners and losers on this. A few weeks ago, we were writing off DAZN. Now it looks like they've got a pretty strong finish to the year. Double question: Who do you? What do you think the boxing broadcast landscape is going to be like? How many, you know, how many outlets are there going to be? And number two, how many of those outlets are you going to be on? All of them, <laughs> or all but one? Hopefully all of them. But I, you know, you guys know well enough in this business. You know, you get hot for a second, you're gonna be cold for a long damn time. Uh, and that's also the boxing business. That's why it's hard to predict. Uh, there's been money in this game the last few years. Why? Uh, probably because it's cheap to put on boxing and the, the, the viewing trends have changed with the now streaming and digital world and get to, you know, you, we know all the, all the reasons here, why suddenly it became, well, I don't have to buy the whole boxing organization. I can just work with this one promoter and put on this cheap live thing. And this is undeviarable because it's live sports. Let's do it. There'll be no work in boxing. There'll be no headaches whatsoever. This would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't know. Will this continue? What, what I still think boxing will be an e uh, thing again, that will never go away that people will still want to see guys, uh, fighting on TV, whether you've heard of them or not, or if there's a Bridger weight Feeker box title at stake or not. And, uh, <laughs> uh you know, I, I question to think if we're going to have as many legitimate suitors as we have now, because it seems like people are grabbing money and doing it for certain reasons, like DAZN on a larger scale, trying to get on the American map for hopes of American team sports down the road, all that stuff. Um, I still think you're going to end up with a system where there's a, a, a an A power and a B power. Uh, you know, it seems Showtime is committed, and I love that, being a happy Viacom CBS employee. And it seems like, uh, you know, they're a premier brand that wants to be a premier brand. And it seems like it'd be probably be likely that there would be some form of, of national television outlet to rival them, whether it would still be ESPN four years from now or it would be a, you know, a Fox with a different promoter or whatever. So I think it's going to kind of look the same, despite how often things change. I just don't think they're going to see as many suitors. I mean, hopefully at that point, uh, you know, we can all be working for whoever. Hopefully there'll be three or four ring cities and we can be cashing checks. Uh, let's stay optimistic here, but things go in waves. I would like to see, though, guys. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, the idea of uh, promoter agnostic ring city, let's ring the bell for them one more time. Uh, you know, I love the vision because it's it breaks the mold of what we're used to of late. I would like us to go back to a point. Maybe it's not realistic because promoters are so tied with networks. But if we can get to a point where the networks are a little bit separate from that, where the networks are the house of where anybody can come and fight if you're good enough, where a power position that HBO held as recently as what, right? Eight, 10 years ago, where it was sort of like, at that moment, that was the spot. And then Showtime took the mantle for a bunch of years, and that was the spot. Right now, there's a few spots. It's yeah. more likely that we're going to go back to being one or two spots. I just hope those spots... Uh, everyone can play because that's obviously better for the sport. But, uh, you know, we're preaching to the choir of how to fix boxing here. So let's just be happy that people are watching. We can do these shows. I can linger for longer than 25 minutes on your podcast and make you upset. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there we are. There we are. <laughs> All right. Well, we won't let you linger too much longer, but I can't let you go without forcing a quick Springsteen conversation. Oh, um, wow. Kieran's going to love this. <laughs> yeah, Kieran, yeah, I'm Kieran, Kieran might have already hung up on us. Yeah, yeah. But so you had me on your podcast a couple of months ago and we ran out of time before we could talk, Bruce. And I'm just I'm not going to let that happen here, but we will keep it brief for the sake of Kieran and any boxing fans who don't care about Bruce. But for those who don't know, Brian, you got an old school record player recently and you got obsessed yeah. with listening to early Bruce albums on vinyl. And you and I have traded countless DMs about it during quarantine. So simple, straightforward question here. Give me your number one song or album that you didn't fully appreciate before 2020 that has risen toward the top of your list this year. Yeah, this is a there's one answer to this. The 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 sophomore effort, the wild, the innocent and the E Street shuffle from Bruce uh, Raff, uh, Rask, Rask, Rafe, either way. Rafe. Right for you there. Uh, Rask, I did not expect this album, which I had heard in the past, but hadn't 
hadn't you know become intimate with it right until until you put on the headphones you get the old vinyl you do nothing else the same background music i'm here to live this thing song by song uh and you have this old guy renaissance moment like i'm having at age 42 uh the wild the innocent is is not a rock and roll album it's like a uh r&b jammy sort of jazzy sort Mm -hmm. of like everything thrown in at once and it's a powerful and awesome statement uh with early bruce's voice still bringing it a couple mm-hmm. different band members of what ended up becoming the traditional uh east street lineup down the road and i think that change you can really hear it and feel it as the band sort of matured here from the debut effort which was good but it was more straightforward this album is my go-to in the bruce collection as i'm adding vinyls left and right here and there uh i always go back to it yes you're right Rask, Born to Run is the perfect start-to-finish rock album, no question. But I'm a wild and innocent guy because I'm a little bit more funky than the normal one. All right? <laughs> That's the difference between there me. You, there you go. Well, you are you are now welcomed into the fold of true Bruce fans. That's the dividing line. Do you appreciate the wild, the innocent, and the E Street Shuffle or not? If you do, you're in the club. Wow. All right. I, you know, I could see Mulve because he's he's very raw and stripped down. I mean, I don't know what he's wearing. Is right my now. camera on? I could, <laughs> I could see him being a Nebraska guy or a darkness on the edge of town guy if he allowed himself to be. And, and there's nothing wrong with uh, with anyone who puts those albums at the top of their list. But uh, but I, that? you know, his taste in in everything, booze, women, you know that like this, he could be a Nebraska guy. He could be. He could be. We'll work on him. That's that's I have that's, been that's... to Nebraska. Does that count? <laughs> it's a start. Okay. And there's definitely a darkness on the edge of your town, I believe. Oh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a darkness. That's hey, his, his town picks up the garbage by horseback, all right? That, that it does. <laughs> I'm talking about. I think there's a darkness on the edge of most of our towns these days. <laughs> yes. But oh. there shall be light. On the edge of this line, and it's me. Maybe you should let me go now. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to Philly. Shout out to King of Prussia. Shout out to the C. Angie twins. Love you guys. Definitely. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Mr. Brian Campbell. Brian, Brian Campbell, thank you so much for joining us on our little show. I'll see myself out here. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, PC. Great Thanks, stuff. PC. All right. Looking ahead to this weekend's fights, uh, the most high-profile event is, of course, Tyson versus Jones. But we talked about that with BC, which means Kieran and I don't have to say another word about it, uh, nor about Jake Paul versus Nate Robinson in the co-feature. God help us all. Uh, the best real fight this weekend between fighters not in their 50s, also at heavyweight, takes place in London on Saturday, streaming in the U.S. on ESPN+, Plus, pitting 15-0 Daniel Dubois against 11-0 Joe Joyce. Since we've talked about this fight a few times already, you know, when it was first being considered, when they were pushing back the date, etc., today I'm thinking it'll be interesting to preview it from a betting perspective. I know both of us consider the 23-year-old Dubois the favorite, and the sports books see it the same way. The best price I'm seeing on Dubois is minus 480, so risk $480 to win $100. But if you're willing to get more specific, you can take Dubois by KO at minus 190 or by decision at a big plus 500, uh, or you can take him by KO in a specific group of rounds. Rounds one through three is plus 420, four through six is plus 300, seven through nine plus 500, and 10 through 12 plus 1,000. Uh, Or, on the other hand, if you believe in Joyce, he's plus 310 to pull the upset. What do you think of those odds, Kieran? Any options sound like good value to you? So Dubois on points at plus 500 looks well worth a shot to me i mean look i favor dubois to win but joyce you know isn't a patsy here by any means i totally get why those odds are so high because they've had 26 pro fights between them and only two of those have gone the distance um but as far as i could tell both men have very solid chins i could certainly see a scenario where notwithstanding the kind of punishment that we're expecting to get dished out both men are standing at the end uh the generic dubois win feels like the worst odds of all actually it's almost like it's worth taking a punt on one of the more specific ones or even hedging your bets on both of them. I don't right. know. Um, plus 310 seems wide for Joyce. I mean, yes, Dubois is the favorite, and deservedly so. I, th- I I think we would both pick Dubois. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, we both think he's got the potential to become a future heavyweight champion. But Joyce, you know, Joyce has been up against some solid, experienced opposition. I wouldn't rule him out completely. Anything can happen. So... With the caveat that I do not have the expertise in such matters that you do. And although it may sound counterintuitive, 
I would think that my top two value odds are plus 500 Dubois on points and plus 310 Joyce to win at all. Uh, what about you? Yeah, those are uh, th- th- that's the the uh, the appeal of the long shot option is, you know, you don't have to risk too much and you might get a decent amount in return. Uh, but those are long odds for a reason. Neither is the likely scenario. But I did think about that. The. I don't think I'd p- bet on Joyce, even at plus 310. Mm. I don't quite see him mm. being that live of an underdog. But the the Dubois by decision at plus 500 is interesting because what we've seen so far from Joe Joyce suggests that he has a real good chin, that he it yeah. might be as, as big a puncher as Dubois is he might have trouble hurting Joyce, in which case that fi- plus 500 is is really interesting. But also Dubois by KO at minus 190 might be good value if you're not so convinced of Joyce's chin. So I don't know. Yeah. I haven't figured out exactly how I'm betting this yet, but I do agree with you. Minus 480 is a little too steep to just yeah. put on Dubois. I mean, I, I don't bet $480 on anything, but you know, <laughs> clo- closer to my range, would I want to risk 48 bucks of my betting bankroll just to win 10 bucks? I don't know if that's worth it. Yeah. All right. Um, the other card of note this weekend streams Friday night on the zone from Hollywood, Florida, uh, Daniel Jacobs versus Gabriel Rosado in the main event. Uh, tell you what, let's, instead of just like breaking that down, we've talked about it before. I'll make this hard for you. Mm. You have to watch either that card or the Tyson Jones card. Which do you choose? Oh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I'm I'm assuming for the purposes of the question that we're removing the pay-per-view fee from Tyson Jones because that sure. would that would make it's it too easy. Too yeah, I just yeah, I just yeah. pick the card uh, that isn't going to cost me another fifty bucks. Um, <laughs> I really abhor this Jacobs Rosado fight, but if I'm trying to find reasons to watch, Jacobs is a borderline pound for pound guy somewhere in my top twenty. Um, so there's some value in seeing how he performs and knowing how good he looks as it pertains to whatever his next fight is. Maybe that will be something more evenly matched. Um, Look, Rosado, his best days are behind him, but not as far behind him as Mike's and Roy's. Uh, You know, I'm not going to get super depressed if it turns out he just completely sucks compared to his prime self the way that I might watching Tyson and Jones. Um, And, you know, Jacobs Rosado... Uh, no longer has a Demetrius Andrade fight on the undercard. We just got a uh, word this week that his opponent, Dusty Hernandez Harrison, uh, is positive for COVID. So that fight is off. Uh, obviously, we hope for the best for Hernandez Harrison. Uh, but that fight being off this undercard is probably a selling point for Jacobs Rosado. Um, look, we like Andrade just fine. But when he's in with the wrong opponent, someone who can't push him, it can be a rough watch. Um, so... It's all pointing toward sucking it up and watching Jacobs Rosado, which honestly I probably will do so that I can do my job properly and comment on the fight afterward. Or, or well, at the very least, I'll watch, you know, DeZone's edited quote unquote highlight version the next day. Um, but, you know, all that said, curiosity kills the cat. Um, if Tyson Jones was free, I have a bad feeling I'd probably turn it on. Uh, you know, I definitely wait until after the Logan Paul fight is over. Yes. But yes. I, I might tune in for the main event, see what Tyson can do for a minute and satisfy a little curiosity. You know, that's if it was free. Uh, it's not. I assure you, I will not be ordering this fight card. But on equal footing, both main events are free and they're, say, starting at the same time on the same night. Which channel do I go to? I'd hate myself, but actually, I kind of <laughs> think it's Tyson Jones. Uh, but this much is for sure: Dubois Joyce is the fight of the weekend. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, that should have been that should have been the easy dodge answer, I guess. <laughs> right. Actually, yeah, could have saved us all a lot of time and aggravations. <laughs> it just said that. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right, let's finish with a few news items. Uh, the big one, of course, is the Canelo drama. Which appears to be over, or at least this chapter of it. Um, he has announced that, indeed, he is fighting Callum Smith on the zone on December 19th. And they're aiming to do it in Texas. Uh, they have uh, announced the Alamo Dome that they are planning to use the same protocol in terms of allowing fans in. Uh, that was followed for Javante Davis, Leo Santa Cruz. The situation, as we've discussed, uh, on the ground in terms of COVID is different than it was just a few weeks ago but it's texas so who knows maybe the alamo dome will be full of eighty thousand. <laughs> who knows um we touched on this 
with Steven Espinosa last week. It was clearly starting to point in this direction. Uh, DAZN was able to offer the most money while also reportedly saving about half of what they would have owed Canelo for this fight under his long-term contract. So, two questions for you, Eric. Do you prefer Smith over Caleb Plant uh, as the December Canelo opponent? Uh, Caleb Plant being talked about if Canelo had made that jump to PBC. Um... And what does this mean, if anything, for the chances of Canelo Triple G3? Or I guess it's two and a half questions. It's a sub-question to that. Do you even care about Canelo Triple G3 at this point? Hmm. All right. Well, I'll, I'll start with the first question, Smith or Plant. It's really damn close. Um, yeah. Smith has the deeper resume. Not way deeper. His best win is a, a fading George Groves. Uh, Smith, you know, himself is still largely an unproven fighter. But Plant has... Uzkatagi, and that's it in terms of, like, top 25 super middleweights. Both match up competitively on paper with Canelo. Um, Both are physically prime. Smith is 30, Plant is 28. I wish Smith was coming into this off something other than a career-worst performance where he won a debatable decision against John Ryder. If not for that, he'd be the easy preference here. But that did happen, so it's a really close call. Plant intrigues me a little more but smith is probably all things considered the slightly more solid opponent for canelo as for a third triple g fight i don't know if all that much changes this is canelo doing a one-off with the zone we don't know where he'll go afterward we know steven and showtime will be among the suitors uh but the fact that Canelo and DeZone are willing to work together can't be a bad thing for a potential third fight with Golovkin. But the interesting question you asked, the sub-question at the end there, do I even care? Uh, you know, because they're both big names and because they have this history of two great fights, or at least one great fight and one very good fight that was overshadowed by a horrible scorecard, I think people's brains associate Canelo Triple G with being a super fight that could sell a million pay-per-views if it was on pay-per-view, but... I don't know. Every day that passes, it feels a little more like a mismatch and a little less like a super fight. Gennady will turn 39 in April. Uh, I don't imagine this fight happens before then. So he'll be at least 39. Um, You know, I I guess I I won't say I don't care about this fight. I still care, but it doesn't excite me anymore. Yeah. You know, unless let's say Golovkin comes out against Camille Zaramata and looks like a beast again, that helps a little. But even then, I'm sorry to say it, uh, but I, this one, I think this one is, has overmarinated already. Yeah. Uh, turning to another star fighter in the news this past week, we have to talk about Deontay Wilder, who appeared on our friend Brian Custer's podcast and made a lot of headlines. The interview was great for Custer. Uh, I'm not sure how good it was for Wilder. He doubled down on Tyson Fury cheating in their rematch, said Fury's fingernails scratched Wilder's ear through the glove. Uh, He continued to take issue with Mark Breland going against his will by stopping the fight. The only thing Wilder said that I can really get behind is him saying he has no interest in ever fighting for a Bridgerweight title. Uh, Kieran, (laughs) anything new to say about Wilder? Has he flat out lost it? Or is this maybe self-promotion and marketing to keep his name in the news and maybe keep the third fight with Fury alive? The best thing I can say about Deontay Wilder right now is that his is not the most delusional and obnoxious whining about a loss uh, in the news at the moment. Um, but <laughs> it took me a second because my brain was tuned <laughs> yeah, into on, yeah. on a boxing wavelength before I realized what you're talking about. Okay. Um, but it's a pretty solid second, and that's not very good. No. Um, Look, no, I don't think this has anything to do with self-promotion. I don't think Wilder's that savvy. I, look, this just follows a pattern of weird utterances from Wilder. Like, well before all of this, there was that whole I want a body on my record thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we talked about that. What was that even about? Um, You know, and as we've discussed before, it's a thin line for boxers. You know, they have to walk this psychological tightrope. You know, before a fight, they have to feel they're at once invulnerable and yet also at risk of imminent defeat and after a defeat they have to learn from it yet rationalizing it without fully accepting that they're beatable it's a really really difficult mental balance and wilder does not appear to be getting it even remotely right um he's in clear denial it seems to me and and which is, you know, if, if he's in denial, he's in denial, and, and it is what it is. Well, the thing that I really dislike, and I'm, obviously I'm not alone in this, is the way in which he's continuing to lash out at others 
mm. um, you know, to, to sort of justify it. The way in which he's thrown Mark Breland under the bus, I think, has been outrageous. And it says an enormous amount about Deontay Wilder's character, none of it good. I mean, I get it. If you, you told your corner team, never, ever stop a fight. And yet Breland did. If you want to say, I get why Breland felt he had to do what he did. I disagree with it. And I told my corner team, they must never stop one of my fights. And he stopped one. He broke the covenant that is really important to me. He's got to go. All right, that's fine. Get it. But to still like 10 months on be spouting conspiratorial nonsense that Breland was somehow in on the whole thing. Mm. It's, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And and while his refusal to accept facts isn't damaging to the country the way it is with the other delusional man, baby, I mean, it, it's not, it's not going to help him unless at least some part of him tacitly acknowledges that he lost that fight legitimately and there are lessons that he needs to learn from that going forward. And until he can do that, that's just not going to help him. Um, quick follow-up on a story from last week. Uh, Andrew Maloney has filed a formal appeal of the no-contest ruling in his fight with Joshua Franco. One assumes that result won't change either. But um, would you expect that Maloney will get a chance to clear it up in a third fight with Franco? Yeah, it seems almost certain that they'll do it again. Uh, and they'll use this controversy to help promote it. Uh, but even if he gets another chance to get the result he wants, it doesn't make this result any less wrong. And and Bob Bennett is still out there in the media. I saw a piece on ESPN.com that they wrote about the instant replay topic in general and, and uh, Las Vegas and Nevada, uh, you know, a- adopting it a while back. Um, and of course, it zeroed in on this fight. Bennett's still insisting there was a clash of heads that caused the swelling. And it's just like, does he think he's speaking to a Fox News or OAN audience? (laughs) Uh, You know, if we can't start from a point of agreeing on the facts, we have a problem. Um, But yeah, Maloney Franco 3 is coming, almost certainly, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Lastly, ending on sad news, Juan Roldan, an Argentine middleweight contender in the 80s who challenged both Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns, contracted COVID-19 and died this past Wednesday at just 63 years of age. He fought for titles three times, but came up short each time, finishing his career with a record of 67, 5, and 2 with 47 knockouts. Kieran, any quick words about Juan Domingo Roldan? So Roldan had 75 pro fights, but he's most famous for a few seconds in one of them when he scored uh, the first and I believe the only official knockdown in the career of Marvin Hagler. Now, it wasn't a knockdown, or it shouldn't have been. You know, Hagler was bending forward to slip a punch. He got cuffed on the back of the head as he did. Uh, but for better or worse, it's there in the, ro- in the record books. One roll down, knock down Marvin Hagler. Um, but, you know, otherwise, World Ham was one of those guys that there was nothing especially remarkable about him as a fighter, other than that he was very solid and tough. But he was one of those guys who was good enough to be everyone except the very best. Uh, he only lost five contests, as he said. Two of those were relatively early in his career. One of them was a DQ. The other three were, as he mentioned, against Hagler and Hearns. And then in his final fight, Michael Nunn, um, really solid level of opposition to come up short against. He wasn't among the best of the best, but he was among his era's best of the good. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, 99% of boxers, when they first lace up their gloves, they could you know, knew that at the end of their career, they'd be able to say that. They'd take that, I think. Uh, really solid career. And I was really sad to find out about this, to find out that, that you know, he'd been struck struck down at such a young age by COVID. So very, very sad indeed. And, and uh, rest in peace to him. Okay. That will do it for another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We'll be back next week to maybe say a little something about Tyson and Jones, if either of us watches it, <laughs> and to look ahead to a fight that I know we're definitely going to be watching, which is Errol Spence against Danny Garcia. Uh, Until then, thanks very much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.